Have you heard of the seven mindsets? Jeff Waller's work spearheaded the movement. It's been spreading throughout the country for several years, and it has never been more relevant as it is now. His book, Ridiculously Amazing Schools, builds on everything that he and his team have learned about what leadership characteristics are needed for schools to be amazing. As the Jeffs talk, you will be touched and intrigued. Check it out. You will see. I'm not wrong. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, how are you? Good to see you today and welcome to Leader Chat. And today is special for me and therefore it's going to be special for you. We're going to make it special for you um, because I actually get to talk to uh, the person that we're interviewing for this Leader Chat face to face. And we've done that several times. It's probably a bigger deal for me than it is for you because I don't have to talk to a screen. I actually get to look at somebody's eyes in a discussion almost as though um, we're talking without you listening. But you are. So as a reminder, this leader chat, if you are a member of the leadership circle, you have the option of watching this live. Some of you are doing that right now. In the meantime, if you miss it because you're busy people, you get the video, that's your content. And then many of the people are listening to this via our publicly available podcast, Leader Chat with Jeff Rose. And today I'm not gonna actually be introducing in a minute, Jeff Waller, who is the founder, the co-founder of Seven Mindsets. So just think about that for a second. Seven Mindsets, start to imagine what we're gonna talk about. But we're also gonna shift into a, a recent book that he authored, Ridiculously Amazing Schools, which is this interesting and catchy title. And then as soon as you grab the content, you realize it really does align to the title. It is this description of what makes a school unique and great and why, and it's analyzed lots of incredible data and research into it. So we're gonna we're gonna dive in in a second. So here in, a, in about one minute, their cameras will shift and you'll actually see I'm not lying to you. I do have somebody sitting next to me whose name just happens to be Jeff as well. Um, Jeff Waller is a thought leader in social emotional learning, personal achievement and youth empowerment. He's the co-author of The Seven Mindsets to Live Your Ultimate Life. He's also the co-author of Ridiculously Amazing Schools, Creating a Culture Where Everyone Thrives. He's the co-founder of Seven Mindsets Corporation, a social and emotional learning solution provider currently serving 1.2 million students in all 50 states. Jeff has spent the last 20 years observing hundreds of schools and thousands of classrooms. He has interviewed over 100 of the most successful administrators and teachers in the country. I doubt that, he's never interviewed me. Um, through, uh, through his work, he has co-authored two books and co-developed the revolu revolutionary Seven Mindsets program that delivers curriculum and professional development to schools and classrooms from kindergarten through 12th grade. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will now show you that I'm not lying. Welcome, Jeff. Thank it's you. awesome to have you. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. It is uh, it's awesome to be here. I appreciate this opportunity. Um, and like you, it's it's really nice to be live. Yeah, uh, we've it just is. been in this virtual world for feels like ever now, and uh, it's just nice to start to get back in front of people and build those relationships that I think are so critical to to being effective. So thank you very much. Indeed. Now, so your work too, even yeah. though you've been working, you work with all these schools all over the country, mm -hmm. teachers, and therefore in influencing students. Yeah. 
you had the shift, right, of having to move to this kind mm -hmm. of online delivery. Mm -hmm. Am I hearing correctly that you're kind of starting to morph into maybe a more of a duality concept? And how how are you doing yeah. that? Man, yeah, I think education more than any any business, it's a relationship business. It's all about relationship and. You know, Zoom was good because we had to do it, but we've just found that we need to be in the schools. We need to be connecting. We need to be looking in people's eyes. Yeah. Um, because those connections are, are just like the work of teachers in the classroom. They're just so important to us being effective with what we do and, and putting educators in a position where they can thrive and they can be authentic and, and they can connect with kids in their own unique way so they can have the impact that we want. Yeah. So I read your bio, mm -hmm. and of course I missed stuff in your bio. Yeah. I shortened it, don't be offended. Nope. Uh, so what, what either did I miss, or you know, maybe you can walk us back and yeah. describe maybe some of your initial motivations yeah. as to you know, why you do what you currently do, because you came at this through a different mm -hmm. angle, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah. Maybe just give us a little bit of that narrative. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I was in strategic consulting for ten years until uh, nineteen ninety nine, and I just I started to get really bad at it, and I think I got bad at it because uh, I didn't really want to do it. You know, I wasn't passionate, and there was something missing, and uh, I just I did some soul searching, and I think I really want to do something. Uh, that has significance. I want, I want, um, I want my work to transcend my own life. I want to, I want to um, impact people that will this then impact generations unborn. Yeah. And that was just, I, I read Steve Jobs and Walt Disney and, and I just became fascinated by people that, I, that, that created something that, that I thought was extraordinary. And so I think that was it that I just, I had a calling and, and I knew education was where I needed to be. I wasn't a teacher. I'd never studied education, but I had a lot of thoughts about it. I knew how to build businesses. Um, and I felt like that was the place. You know, you get people when they're young, um, when you can help them the most. And oh, by the way, they have the most runway ahead of them to then do more with what you give them mm -hmm. um, and have an impact on more people. And so, you know, it was really about an inner calling I had to try to do something extraordinary that I felt transcended own life. And I think that's the beauty of education for everybody yeah. is that you really are doing uh, the most important work. You're, you're empowering the next generation to make the world a better place for my children. And, and what could be more important than that? Well, it's, it's true. It sounds almost uh, trite and, and cheesy at times, yeah. but I remember, um, I remember as, you know, when I was in the classroom or mm -hmm. even as a principal or regardless of my role, mm -hmm. The regardless of how hard it was, the one thing I always knew was that you know I'm I'm needed. Yeah. So and I'm I'm not needed just to uh, you know make money. I, I'm needed to make a difference. And yeah. if I have kids looking to me or teachers looking to me, whatever that was, mm -hmm. it was that intrinsic feeling of being needed. Yeah. Wow. And then the influence. It's 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 hard to explain until you kind of lean into it, don't you think? Yeah, I, I I'll share a story. We we, uh, we used to take high schoolers on these service projects, and we would take them to orphanages, and they would just play with these little kids. And we took these three tough kids from Detroit 
to this event and, and all they did was they threw football and they played hopscotch and the girls would braid hairs. And after the event, we would do a debrief. And I remember these three kids from uh, Detroit were bawling. I mean, they, they were hyperventilating and we couldn't so much so they couldn't share. And, and so finally, when this one, one kid calmed down, we said, you know, what's up, Michael, what's going on? He said, you know, that's the first time in my life that I realized I had something good to offer another human being, that that kid needed me that day. And, and they thought I was valuable and uh, it's the best feeling I've ever had. And I think teachers need to understand that, that, that they got, I mean, they have this gift to give and that gift is so valuable. And I, I think one thing we try to work with education, you got to keep coming back to the why. You got to keep remembering. And you also got to recognize that it's the ones that you feel like you're doing the least with that you're having the greatest impact on. You may not see it for a few years. And I think because they get so caught up in the data and the struggles and the frustration, they lose sight of the fact that, man, they're changing lives and they're changing the future. And that is powerful. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess we're done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's so I'll I'll mention this uh, to you. Sure. The listeners have heard me say this, um, whether they've tuned me out or not. But the, the these leader chats are fairly organic. Right. Yeah. So we I don't schedule out for the year. Mm -hmm. We try to track what we think is relevant at the time. Mm -hmm. And we also look for recommendations that come from our people or people that we know and we're connected with. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's nice about this discussion mm -hmm. is that I know people who know you yeah. that have said, you know, you got to meet this guy, yeah. right? Jeff Waller, you, you really need to meet him. Um, in the meantime, the content that we're going to be discussing is so perfect right now. And so maybe even walk us through the genesis of seven mindsets, like, yeah. because I assume that's only becoming more relevant yeah. than when it was initially launched. So just yeah. like, how did this come to be? I think, yeah, we've been working with youth for a long time, but in um, 2007, we, we saw some research done out of the University of Pennsylvania. And it, it said, and it was proven that anxiety and depression was 10 times more prevalent in 2007 than it was in 1960. That the average onset age, which was 30 years old in 1960, was 14 and a half years old in 2010. That number will probably be below 13 when the census data comes out in 2020. And I think for people who had spent their whole life thinking they were moving the dial, it was kind of this catastrophic just, oh my goodness, you know, nothing we're doing works. And so that triggered our research. You know, why is it that some people thrive and others don't? That was the question we asked. And what we learned was it's not what you know, it's how you think. It's your mindsets, it's your attitudes, it's your perspectives that dictate your initial lens, your, your thinking, and ultimately your decisions and responses that dictate the results that you get. And as soon as we learned that, we started teaching it. And as soon as we started teaching it, the impact we were getting from students was exponentially greater than anything we'd ever done before. And we just knew right away, this is what they need to hear. This is what they want to hear. And this is what connects to that intrinsic motivation that then allows them to go figure out the skill sets and the knowledge that need to acquire to be successful, but only when they believe about themselves, their environment and their future, only when they understand they're unique 
and they can share that genius with the world only when they understand that they can make their lives exponential through other people. Will they start to develop their relationships and the skills that are going to allow them to thrive? And so that was really the genesis. We uh, wrote the book. We taught it in a classroom. We got unbelievable results on impact on math, which was not really the direct, but oh, people, were saying, right? people were like, what's, what's this? It's not a math program. It's a program that makes math relevant, that makes these kids want to learn math, lets them connect it to their future. And there, they're going to trigger, you know, they're going to find that inner switch that's going to get them to, to make math a priority in their life. And they're going to start to do the things they are going to let them be successful. But it was only once that, that switch was, was flipped about how they perceived themselves their environment in their future. You know, I, I hadn't planned on asking you about yeah. this, but hearing you talk reminds me, um, I mean, it was sometime in the mid, you know, maybe 2004, 2006. Yeah. I'm getting old, I can't remember, but right around that time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we were, I was, I was a principal of an elementary school, mm -hmm. and we had some students that were excelling and some that struggled, like every school. Yeah. And we were having the conversation relative to at-risk students mm -hmm. and what indicators should we start to track to yeah. ensure what things we actually do for these students. Mm -hmm. So I was at um, Harvard, actually, for a summer and taking a couple of courses there, and I, I heard this guy, his name's Jeff Howard. Yeah. And Jeff Howard um, beat us up pretty bad and <laughs> yeah. uh, made us all, you know, uh, think twice and feel a little bit guilty mm -hmm. about the work, but mm -hmm. um, and did a good job of it. Yeah. And he said, you know, here's the dilemma: the innate ability paradigm, where some people have it or some people don't, mm. it's just not accurate. No. And by the way, unfortunately, we tend to think that that's the case. Yeah. He said, you know, you can call kids at risk disenfranchised, call them whatever you want. Right. He said, let me just be very clear. You worry about kids going to college. Mm -hmm. So do you know the number one indicator on whether a child will go to college? I mean, think of, what do you think the number one indicator is? And you like brainstorm, like families. Yeah, I mean, I, socioeconomic. Right. Right. We had all the list, and he said, you're all wrong. It's whether they think they are. It's all in their head, yeah. He said, mm -hmm. if a child in second grade, mm -hmm. where you can almost adequately determine with 80% accuracy mm -hmm. whether they're going to be successful in school, which should be a scary stat for all of us. Yeah. He said, if that's the case, if they think they're going to college mm -hmm. in second grade, yeah, they're going. Or at least right. they'll have the option to go. That's powerful, yeah. He said, so you know, your job as educators to do is to have relationships and somehow brainwash these kids. <laughs> so they hear every single day yeah. from every single adult that they have yeah. potential to do the things that mm. they want to do. Mm. Yeah, you know, our first mindset's everything is possible. And it's uh, it's all about helping the kid understand you got a miracle. We all have a miracle in us, right? That miracle could be, you know, you're going to be an unbelievable parent and raise extraordinary kids. It could be you're, you're going to be incredibly involved in your church and do extraordinary things through your community. It could be, you know, you're going to be uh, a teacher. And, you know, it, extraordinary doesn't mean it's this big major story, but it means you got the ability to create a life. You get to wake up, do work you love with people you care about, feeling good about yourself. Um, and that's in you. Now let's just remove the things that are getting in the way of that. But you're right. Um, everything is possible is all about hope. It's getting kids to look beyond what they see uh, with their own parents and their aunts and their uncles. Um, it gets them to see that kids just like them have gone on to do extraordinary things. 
and that uh, they're fully capable of those things. And so let's get to work on that. That's that's funny because that is our first mindset, and uh, it's usually it's usually the favorites of the students we yeah. work with because it's hopeful. Of course, know? yeah, yeah. Everyone needs to hear that and yeah, feel that for sure. So in 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 this book, ridiculously amazing mm -hmm. schools. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about it, and I I read it, you know, on my Kindle, so I'd have to have my computer <laughs> yeah. screen propped up yeah. and show you my highlights. But, yeah. Um, what I realized is that it's a very, um, it's a very pragmatic yeah. book. I mean, this, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is not just theory yeah. that I read about and think, yeah. that's interesting. I mean, it really kind of walks the reader through yeah. um, assessing of themselves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. looking at their own environments. Yeah. So this is what these great, amazing schools are doing. Yeah. Where are you? Was that was that the intention to make yeah. it like very user friendly for the reader? Yeah, we, I mean, we learned early that we can come in and share ideas and get people excited. But then you walk away, and two weeks later, they're acting and behaving exactly like they were the moment before you got there. And so everything we do is about sustainability. And so when we wrote this book. My co-author and I said, you know, we, we want something that moves the dial. We, we, want, we want a playbook that we can give educators that they can execute. And so part of our interview process was you know, just collecting what are, what are other principals and leadership teams and teachers doing around the country that's working. And let's just share those ideas, those best practices that are allowing schools to be ridiculously amazing. You know, create that environment where, you know, every kid wants to be at, every parent wants to drop their kid off at, every teacher wants to work at. You know, we, we uh, Tracy, the school she was at, we used to call it educational Disneyland because mm. it, it just was electric. You'd walk in there and there was this vibe. And so we want every school in the country to be a joyous place, but we need to give them the tools and the resources and the ideas so they can deliver it at their school in their own way that can allow them to be successful. And so it had to be pragmatic so that we knew we could actually help leadership teams improve the culture of their school. Well, what's, what's interesting about, about the book is um, the, the way it starts is basically you do talk about almost this, this mindset or this attitude of the educator, Yeah. right? So we know that teachers usually raise their hand to become a teacher with a really yeah powerful why right right people typically don't go into it for the money <laughs> yeah. right yeah they typically don't even go in it for you know the the love of say biology right usually it has to do with this you know i kind of want to influence yeah. people right mm -hmm. however teaching's hard very hard. it's very it's very easy to get pulled into this jaded mindset at times because of the challenge. Mm -hmm. But what you said at this beginning of this book yeah. is the one difference that sets these schools apart is starting with this passion for changing lives. That yep. the teachers in these schools, yeah. they don't just say it, you can kind of feel this passion that, yeah. oh, we can and do change yep. lives. Yes. Did I say that accurately? Because that was the early part of the book and that kind of smacked me. No, I think, I think uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, we, we do a survey as part of our <clears throat> process and we did a survey of a school who, you know, didn't score well. And, and I went in to observe and I remember thinking, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to see here. I went in that school and I saw 
unbelievable things being done by every teacher in that school. And I think in education, because that parent email or that disagreement you have with a, a colleague rules your day, and that's what you take home with you, you lose sight of the miracles that are happening every single day. And I think the first thing that educators need to do is look at it from an abundance perspective and see all the stuff that's working. Because I do believe that, you know, energy flows where attention goes. And if we're focused on that parent letter or that frustrating relationship, that's what's going to consume us. And that's what's going to expand inside our building. And so the first thing we do is assume high intent, you know, see the great things that are going on, recognize and appreciate each other. Help, help that teacher go home seeing that they had an impact that day when maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. And it's that little, that little switch, that little perspective that I think sets you up. Yeah. Right. For yeah. success. You know, this is uh, going back years ago, but um, when I was superintendent in uh, Fulton County here in Georgia, wow. um, one summer there was a new governor initiative that moved from scoring schools to grading them, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I'm not getting political. I'm just saying that grades all of a sudden were given to schools. So mm -hmm. schools overnight yeah. went from, you know, maybe worried about, say, their scores yeah. to being a failing school. Mm -hmm. And it had an F, right? Yeah. So the school then the letter. So obviously this is a dilemma. No one wants their children to go to mm -hmm. an F school and no leader wants their schools to be labeled as failing. Mm -hmm. So I remember being in a school that was an F. Now, Keep in mind, some of these failing schools had low results that needed yeah. drastic attention, yeah. support, and resource. Yeah. But I, I remember being in a school and mm -hmm. the principal meeting me at the door, mm -hmm. walking me through. I was supposed to be there an hour. I was there that day. Mm -hmm. I thought, this is not a failing school. This, right. this is a beautiful place. Yeah. And yeah. It's 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 interesting, isn't it? That yeah. uh, what what we sometimes determine as success or not success. There, I just have to assume that a school can be ridiculously amazing, yeah, without always being the best test taking school with the data. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, a couple of the interviews. Uh, there was an interview I, I I did, and I remember the guy said, you know, we've just become too data centric, and we need to get back to being relationship centric. And if we do that, the data mm -hmm. will ultimately take care of itself. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, if, if I look at a school that, that, uh, that I think is ridiculously amazing, the kids are looking the teachers in the eye, they're opening the doors, they're slapping the, the, the police officer high fives, they're talking to you, they're engaging. Um, there's just a f underpinning of relationship in the building and, it's fundamental human need. Man. Yeah. I mean, when people connect, they engage, right? When they disconnect, that's when they disengage and they start doing things that are counterproductive to their life. But if you can create a connected community that's relationship-driven, those kids will engage, and that school will then have impact. And I'm telling you, when I would go into schools and – I mean, for our program, I'd sit there and I'd watch what was going on in the classroom. And the single determinant of whether we were successful or not was if that teacher was able to get those kids to talk and get them to share. Because once those kids started talking, they made our program relevant 
And then when they shared their own thinking, it made it relevant to everyone in the class. And now we had a, a connected, engaged classroom where impact was happening. But it was all because that teacher had relationship and they could get those kids to talk and share. Um, and so, you know, when we go in and we talk to schools, like if you get the kids talking, don't worry about the assessment at the end. Just You can do that later. Just talk to the bell because that's the goal. That's where it's happening. That's where, that's where the work's being done. I know we can measure if you check the box done, um, but I'm telling you, you're not impacting that life by checking that box. You're impacting that life because you're having an important conversation with that child. You know, so think back to, you know, your own school experience, yeah. right? I tell this to people, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I think of teachers that, that I loved and I knew loved me, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't because of their ability to efficiently deliver content. Right? It was never that. Nope. I never thought, man, yeah. this teacher can just deliver content. Yeah. And, but I did know that they love me. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I, I did, I wouldn't have said it then, but I love them back. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so there's yeah. something about being cared for yeah. that that was the thing that made... Mm. me actually engage in that class was right. based upon that cornerstone of relationship that you're just and you don't know so by, well described by angelo right you know they won't remember what you said or what you did but they'll always remember how you made them feel exactly and you don't understand why you're feeling that way until you look back at it with perspective but yeah they loved you and yeah. you felt it and they yeah. believed in you and they wanted you to be better and uh, they could be tough on you when they needed to and they could show you love when you needed that and uh yeah I, you know, when I see a great teacher, I, I you know, when I see a teacher that that can truly do what they do, it, to me it's on the same level of genius as Beyonce on stage or LeBron playing basketball. I just think it's extraordinary. Yeah, and uh, it's an unbelievable act of creative genius. It is right, and the impact it has is like I said, it that kid is then going to live another seventy years having a better life, but then impacting everyone in their life. Yeah. So those people have a better life and it's just powerful. But it starts with that little acorn of relationship, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you, you pulled a quote, I'm gonna pull it from your book, yeah. um, from Lee Shulman. Right. It said, classroom teaching is perhaps the most complex, most challenging and most demanding, subtle, nuanced and frightening activity yeah. that our species has ever invented. In fact, yeah. when I compare the complexity of teaching with that, that much more highly rewarded profession doing medicine, I concluded that the only time medicine even approaches the complexity of an average day of classroom teaching is an emergency room during a natural disaster. Yeah. So what I appreciated too is that in, in this book, you're not just describing that, you know, teaching is just relationship it is it is easy you you are leaning in to the challenge of the work it's messy man it is messy it's messy and the journey the the struggle is real you know um and it's hard and when i see i couldn't do it that's why i you know i i i do session like i i still to this day can't get a group of eighth grade boys to engage, I mean, there's something about eighth grade boys that I just can't connect. I just can't do it. I mean, every, I just get scared. They, they run over me. Um, it's hard, you know? So I'll watch a teacher that's able to engage an eighth grade classroom. Like, how do they do that? You know, what's going on? So it's, it's, it's incredibly hard. Um, but 
and it takes a lot of courage that, that, that it takes courage to be a great educator because there's a thousand things you have. It's not like courage on the battlefield. It's, it's a thousand little things you have to do every day. They're in the best interest of those kids that you have to with presence and intentionality and empathy do each and every day. I, you know, one of the interviews said, it's like, it's like I do a six act play 180 days a year and the show must always go on. And I, if I don't fake it till I make it, you know, the kids are going to expose me. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's just, and, and, and the, the crux of the book is that we can, it's never going to be easy, but we can make it extraordinary with, for, and through each other. Yeah. You know, rather than, you know, descending and fighting each other, let's understand that, that adversity and conflict, that's just a product of us be passionate about what we're doing. You know, education's a complex ecosystem. People care about it. Parents are completely irrational about their own kids. <laughs> Conflict's going to happen, right? But conflict can be the root of relationship if dealt with constructively. And it can also be the root of creativity and innovation, you know? And so let's see and compel the greatness in each other so that we can all be great when we get in front of those kids. And then when you get in front of that kid and you have that conversation and you feel that love that's the gold, man. That's mm -hmm. the part that other people don't get a feel in their profession. That's the part that you can take home with you. And that's the part uh, that our company wants to give back. Yeah. Because I think that is, you know, that is the secret sauce to a great school. The, the average teacher feels like the work is adding up to the dream they had when they got into education in the first place. The, the the book really delves into issues of, you know, some of the challenges mm -hmm. in social emotional health. And yeah. it's interesting that you, what started Seven Mindsets a long time ago mm -hmm. was when you read some stats yeah. around, um, around that very issue. Yeah. Since then, um, I think it's fair to say that it's become... Yeah. much, much bigger of an issue, especially post-COVID. Yeah, no doubt. What are you seeing right now as it relates to the challenges that were on social, emotional health, not just of, right, not just of kids, but yeah. of teachers too? I mean, yeah. what are you seeing and feeling? I, I feel like right now, the vast majority of the people we're talking with are like, our teachers and our leaders need to be healed, you know? We got to get them to a place where they can feel confident and comfortable, where they're able to be their authentic, truest selves when they get in front of those kids. And so a very big part of our work right now is how do we, how do we help the educators? How do we help the adults in the building? Because ultimately, mm -hmm. I mean, education is only as good as that moment that teachers in front of those kids teaching, period. Right. And if they're going to inspire, they better be inspired. If they're going to be authentic, if they're going to teach those kids to be authentic, they need to be coming from an authentic place. And so uh, maybe our most important work right now is not about helping that kid, but helping that teacher so they can be there for that child. And so that is by and far the number one message that's being screamed to us by superintendents and educational leaders around the country. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, uh, push on that in a second mm -hmm. and get your reaction because okay. I, 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm fully on board and agree, and I mm -hmm. want to add one other caveat yeah, to it, but I'll come back to it. Okay. I first want to make sure I ask this. So you paint this picture regarding these critical elements, mm -hmm. right? This, this kind of this balance, clarity, nurture, conflict, and play. Yeah. Can, can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we, uh, our goal was to figure out, you know, what are these schools that are ridiculous? What are they doing? Like what, what's actually going on? that's actually creating the culture. And, and we identified these five practices, things that they were doing. You know, they didn't have labels for it, but we, we started to see patterns. And so one was belief. We talked about belief that there just was a culture where they assumed high intent. They, they believed in each other, that uh, when a teacher came in late, they didn't come at it from a perspective, why are you late? But, hey, you're not usually late. Um, that's not like you. Is some, are you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? They'd get to the crux of the issue, but they came at it from a perspective of high intent, belief, clarity. You know, we all got to be rowing in the right direction with the current, you know, in the same boat. Yes. Um, everyone has a mission statement, a vision statement, but there lacks clarity. Nurture, you know, we got to take care of one another. We also got to challenge each other individually and collectively to grow and be get, and get better. Just like when you grow a flower, you want to keep it safe, but you want to grow. Um, conflict is a double-edged sword. It can be toxic or it can be constructive. We got to understand it's necessary, but we got to make it constructive. And then the big ones play that, you know, we got to bring the joy back. We got to find ways to create energy and enthusiasm in our building that stimulates creativity and excitement and joy. And so it's funny, post-COVID, I would say 80% of the schools we've worked with uh, have focused on play. We're going to create a a chief play officer or a play committee. We're going to find ways to do things that don't look like education, sure. but have everything to do with success in education so that these kids can relax, have fun, enjoy the education process so that when we get in front of those kids, they're alive and they can engage in education. So those are the five. Well, and just to, just to prove to you that I, I read the book. Yeah. So then when you talk about, too, the, the concept over belief, yeah. you, you mentioned this intersection of trust significance mm -hmm. and belonging yeah right so i that i thought that was really powerful yes yeah. it's one thing to say listen we have a strong belief here mm -hmm. okay but how and yeah. why yeah. right so can you maybe talk to us about yeah. that Cause I, I mean there was research done in the 60s a guy named adler was looking at what it takes for a child to be successful you know they need to have air food water but there's emotional needs. And, and those emotional needs that he decided were fundamental to that kid thriving were belonging and significance, right? What we learned is the same things we need as a three-year-old toddler are the same thing we need as adult. <laughs> we need to feel like we belong and we need to feel like we're having an impact and we're significant at the work we did. In the interviews, we also kept coming around this word called trust, that teachers need to be in an environment that they trust, that they, they know they can take some chances, they can innovate, they can take on new responsibility. It's not toxic. They're not walking on eggshells. Trust is coming up. So we added this third called trust. And we, we said culture, the culture you want in a school is that every adult needs to feel a sense of trust. They need to feel like they belong and they're part of a community that cares about them. And they need to feel like the work that they're doing is having an impact and significance. And if you can do that, that adult, that teacher is going to be in a position to be authentic, powerful, and confident when they get in front of those kids and teach. So, like I said earlier, you yeah. mentioned this this focus. If we can if we can support um, and 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 love on our teachers, then yeah. it really makes an impact on the yeah. students. So, um, here's my point. I I agree. 
I think that um, I know we know for it's a fact mm -hmm. that the number one um, access point for relative to a success of a child when in school is the teacher. Yeah, always the biggest influence. It actually can't be argued. We have all the data needed to say it's the teacher. Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> um, I maybe I'm making myself feel good relative to the work that we're trying to do for leaders. I actually think you can put great teachers in a building, great teachers in a building. Yeah. I don't believe that the chaos theory works in schools to where mm -hmm. they will meet their potential and really, really hit their stride unless they have a good leader. No doubt. And I see a significant challenge with leadership right now, much higher turnover rate, much higher mass exodus mm -hmm. in education in terms of percent. There are just fewer of them. Yeah. Percent is doubled yeah. in terms of the attrition and what we're seeing with teacher turnover. Yeah. So if we, let's talk to the leader. Like, let's think about the leader yeah. as it relates to this ridiculously amazing schools yeah. because my point is yeah. if we're going to support teachers, we better lean yeah. in the leadership or else they can never be great. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, there's two, two recent exchanges I've had that break my heart. Um, the first is we, we would interview uh, principals, and we at the end of our interviews, we would ask them what's broken. And we would consistently hear from principals that I feel alone. Yeah. I feel pitted against other principals. I have no shoulders. to. I can't cry on a teacher's shoulder. I can't cry on my spouse. My spouse doesn't really understand what I'm going on. I, I can't really cry on my other. And it's like, that's sad, right? You know, that principals feel alone. And we were in uh, California talking to a superintendent. We met with five principals. And when they left the room, uh, she's like, you know, I'm worried. None of these principals are going to be around in three to five years that they're all just going to. I was like, wow. She goes, you know, and so in um, our experience is that ultimately, the single most important determinant of success of our program is is the leader, is the principal. And, uh, and the book itself is about equipping the principal, yes. right, with the tools that are going to help them help those teachers and then help that principal feel, right, that the work's adding up <laughs> to uh, the vision and the dream they had when they got into the principalship at the beginning. And so... It's written for the leadership teams, and I'd say 80% of the, the workshops I do are for principals and leadership teams because ultimately we're empowering them to empower the teachers so those teachers can be great when they get in front of the kids. Well, this is this is why I was trying to lead you to that place yeah. because I, as I, as, I, as I read this book, yeah. you know, I'm focused, right? The mm -hmm. leadership circle yeah. is focused on really creating a safe place so that leaders can help each other, right? Yeah. And so yeah. this book, what I like so much about it is it 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 is written for a leader I felt. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so as I'm reading and I'm thinking, this is pragmatic advice and research for the leader. Yeah. Which for me is a ding ding ding. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I don't you know, I I think you know, I, I, one thing when we, we we do we have a program we do called uh, it's called self care for school leaders. Okay. And one of the the things is you know find your people, man, and and you got to find. And so like, you know, I I a principal has to have a group of other principals who understand 
because no one else can comprehend what it's like to be a principal. And so, you know, you have to find a community of people, you know, that, that, uh, that have been there, you know, that have been there, that have done that to understand what you're going through so that you have the support structure to make it through this really, really, I mean, you know, to think, I mean, to have 800 kids in your school with 80 teachers and uh, 1,600 parents and a school board and a community, I mean, that that's like being the CEO of a mid-sized company. That's I mean, exactly you're, right. you're talking about unbelievable uh, level of complexity and drama and difficulty. Yeah. And they got to have a support structure because it's just too difficult to do it alone. And so at the district level, if your principals feel as though they're pitted against one another, you have to change that dynamic. Yeah. They need to feel like it's a community that supports one another, that if I help that other principal, we're, we all, we're all, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Indeed. Right. The district success is about every principal being successful. We're not competing with each other. Yeah. You know, we're just not. And so part of that grading schools, that's created this natural toxicity of competitiveness, which unfortunately I believe has been counterproductive to what we all want. Yeah, I, I agree. I, mm -hmm. the, last week I was uh, running what we call solution circles where yeah. we have a protocol and it's where a leader comes with a dilemma and the rest of the yeah. leaders help through this step-by-step -step process. Yeah. Well, this group, um, they didn't know each other, mm -hmm. which actually sometimes is the value <laughs> because yeah. um, I think that honesty is not always built upon, uh, you know, people that you're familiar with. Right. It's based on safety. Yes. And so sometimes when you get somebody around a table with people they don't work every day and they don't worry about the politics of being real, they get on us fast. So we had this thing and then it was a great session. At the end, I got a tweet from one person mm -hmm. saying, you know, who's in your circle? And then it, it had a picture of this table they were talking and I realized, oh, they had actually, they didn't know each other. Yeah. And then, but they connected via Twitter and now there I can see the string where they're thanking each yeah. other for helping that one particular problem that principal yeah. brought forward. Incredible things can happen with the right structures. You just, you just so, planted a seed. That's yeah. all you did, man. And you left it, Yeah. you let it grow. Look what it did. So here we are, the, the, the leadership circle, Jeff, mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't, we try not to talk at people too much. Right. And this right. is actually the one content piece we do. Okay. The rest of it is all circle yeah. process. Yeah. If you and I were sitting at this round table, does it mm -hmm. show that it's round table? I think, <laughs> Chris, if you, yeah, look at that, it's round table. If this was surrounded yeah. by, let's uh -huh. say superintendents, a couple of assistant superintendents, some principals, and we're having a discussion and really leaning into the content of ridiculously amazing mm -hmm. schools, but then, you know, time is short mm -hmm. and um, we're having a great discussion and it's time for you to go. Yeah. What would be kind of your uh, elevator, pragmatic advice for them right now based upon uh, everything that you've written? Yeah. Your, everything you learn in your company and supporting 1.2 million teachers in right. 50 states. What would you want to leave them with? Um, so many, th I, I think I, I keep going to my hero, um, is Walter Payton. Walter Payton was a running back for the Chicago Bears. And there was an, in, I was, when I was nine years old, I fell in love with him. And there was an interview that he did when I was nine. And when he, when he answered this question, it didn't make sense to me until I became a father and a husband. But they asked, 
he was close with his dad and his mom. He had great parents. And um, they asked him, what's the greatest thing your father ever did for you? And he said, the greatest thing that my father ever did for me is he loved my mother. He put my mom in a position to be powerful so that she could influence and nurture and develop me. And I think in education, if we think about our role and responsibility is bigger than our classroom or even our school, and that the greatest thing that we might do that day has nothing to do with the direct interaction a principal has with a teacher or a teacher has with a student, but rather something that we do with our peers that allows them to be in a position to be there that day for that kid who's in that moment of need and can deliver that nugget of wisdom that's going to change and transform that kid's life forever. I think that's it. You know, it's just, it's about, it's about seeing and compelling the greatness in each other so that we can be great when we get in front of those kids. That's a, that's, that's, that's a mic drop. All right. Uh, well done. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much Thank for you. this time, Jeff. This has been, I mean, we could probably talk for a long time. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, leaders, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure for me to, of course, read Ridiculously Amazing Schools, but also become really familiar with uh, Jeff and, and the work that they've done. And I, um, I, I recommend you look into it. Um, but even, even if you find yourself uh, really busy and you have a hard time getting to that, uh, listen, to, listen to this discussion and hopefully it will inspire you, provide some information and some perspective as you lead. Um, I read this as a leader through a leader mindset, and I walked away uh, feeling uh, not just nourished, but also informed, and I think you'll do the same. Uh, I've really appreciated the discussion. I know you will too. So teachers, leaders, educators, thank you for the noble work you do. Be well.